Welcome back to The Drop. This is Michael Saramella here to talk about everything that happened this week in surfing. And we have a doozy of an episode for you. First and foremost, Sam McIntosh is going to come on to explain his prediction and why he thinks that if the WSL does not change their WSL finals location, they're going to lose two of surfing's biggest stars. Later, we're going to have an interview with Caroline Marks. We're going to have an argument by a 24-year-old, no less, against aggressive surf parenting. Paul Evans has a story about Europe and how it's basically at the end of its rope. And at the end, I'm going to explain why quads are ultimately the best fin setup in surfing. Uh, Yeah, so much to get into, so let's drop it. Mikey, how's it going? I'm here. I'm in the stab office. I'm in the United States of America. You're not. No, I'm not. You've, uh, yeah, you've made it back. I can see you. You are. You got the echoey walls, and you've got the toasted shirt, and apparently you've got some fringe bars in front of you as well. I have. There's three delicious flavors. We're going to hear from them later. I called an airline about them and confused the lady. It's a fun ad. I hope. Um, so we'll hear from them later. I have them in front of me. I'm going to eat some later. It's going to be great. But we got a lot of news to talk about, don't we? Well, I, I heard that you wanted to go on a rant about Matthew McConaughey. I know that Stace and I already did our WSL Finals chat, but I, I heard that you have some words for Matthew McConaughey. Oh, I fucking hate him. He <laughs> lost me money. I said, I went on the thing, I wrote a poem last week. So I hope Felipe's going to win, you know? And then the McConaughey ad drops. This is how I said in the staff comments... I should have some sort of, it's conservatorship is the word, where it's somebody you can't control your own life. I need this. This is something (laughs) that would benefit me. Um, I knew, and then the McConaughey ad drops, and I mean, what advertising is supposed to make you feel like you need to buy a product. I don't even know what they're trying to make me buy. They just wanted me to, I guess they wanted me to buy the belief that Griffin could win. I bought, I fucking bit, and I was like, you know what, McConaughey did a thing. We're betting Griffin, the odds were good too, let's be honest. I love a good dog, don't I? But... I fully blame McConaughey for that. Um, fuck you, Matthew McConaughey. I mean, you're in California now. You got to be pretty close to, to where he is. You could always find him and you know deliver a you know some sort of protest at his front door or something. I am. I'm gonna find him. Yeah, I think he lives. Um, I think he he couldn't afford Oceanside, so he's inland a little bit. I think he's in uh, what do they call it out there? Uh, Escondido. I thought he lived at Lenana Bay. Does he? No, he lives in Escondido. He couldn't afford Oceanside, so he had to go out there. It's a nice two-bedroom he's got. He did well. But anyway, Quicksilver, when I know I don't know how much it costs you to produce that thing, but you have another invoice coming, which is my bet that you made me make by doing an advertisement that compelled me to... The, uh, you compelled me to... The product was belief, I guess, and you sold it to me. And so that's on you. Uh, invoice coming, boys. All right. Well, speaking of the WSL Finals, we've got Sam McIntosh about to come on, and you guys are going to chat about his story that just went live on the site. It is an absolute doozy. There's already 50 comments in the first, like, 12 hours, so you know people are uh, invested one way or another. Yeah. Yeah, it is a doozy. So I'm going to talk to Sam just now, and then we'll get to the news. Prediction. The final five format at lowers will kill off two surfing superstars a little bit of alliteration going on there sam finals five format almost got me on that but at press sign this thing has 55 comments on our site has not hit ig yet hasn't been 24 hours yet that's uh that's a lot people are talking this thing has the world of buzz it's a big title and i want to start by saying sam in the past two years you have interviewed john you've interviewed kelly and bob mcknight 
and then you've written to frame how servers get paid episodes. I haven't seen you write something like this in a while. Tell me about what inspired it. Well, I wanted to be like the 457,000th middle-aged white man with an opinion on how the WSO should run their business. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it just pathetic? But uh, yeah, yeah, here we are. Um, so yeah. the premise of the story is watching Carissa lose and then seeing John John kind of lose interest. It's like, hang on, if you keep going back to lowers, uh, I think you, I think we might potentially lose some of our, our sort of box office stars, which is sort of the most obvious ones are Carissa and John John. Yeah, yeah, it made a lot of sense. Like, I wouldn't say either really crossed my mind, but I felt bad for Carissa. Just it sucks. I mean, you, you write about the moment seeing her kind of walk across the cobblestones. You'd read her body language, but like, it's hard not to feel bad for her. She seems like such a good person. And I agree with you. I mean, it, it is, like I said, I didn't think about it before, but the way you laid it out made it very clear. Um, she's 31. John's going to turn 31 next month. And the average age of world champions since the 70s is 24 for women, 25 for men. What do you think about that? Yeah, it was sort of hard to watch because she just plays the game so well. So she plays plays by the rules, uh, is such a... Uh, you never want to say ambassador, but whatever, she is an ambassador. She just... I don't know, like the way she even was so gracious in defeat. She ne- She's never going to run to Instagram and just... Uh, and like kind of really reveal her true thoughts. I just thought, if you were her, would you come back and do it again? Like, why would you put yourself through it? Like, it was almost... You're losing five heats out of seven heats out there. Really, if it weren't that one backside rear by Tati that she uh, caught the rail, then she would have lost all three. And you're like, why would you come back and do it again? The basic premise was, hey, uh, if you keep going back to the same break, it might be unfair and you might lose talent. Um, But in regards to the aging part, uh, I'd say Philippe now is pushing that average a touch higher, wouldn't you think? Because what's what's Philippe now, 28? Felipe is 28, but we have got 53 world titles clocked, so he didn't budge the average too much, but uh, he's working at it. Hey, if they keep holding it at lowers, I guess he'll keep just bringing it up, right? That's, uh, that's kind of what you said. Yeah, I, I got a little misconstrued because I said uh, John John has as much chance uh, against Felipe at lowers as Felipe has against John John at pipeline. I'm not saying they don't have any chance, but I'm saying it's probably about even, those odds. Yeah, it's fair. It's fair. One thing I was thinking about, though, this actually came up when I was talking to Katie Simmers before the finals. I was asking her how she feels about having it at lowers, and she flipped that question on me as well. And I kind of think, like, I think the waves throughout the calendar year that are being surfed are more similar to lowers than they are to pipelines. So I do think it's more fair to have it at lowers. Um, you talked to an insider for this, and they had some really interesting thoughts, seeing, like, saying every wave is especially a wave to a degree. I guess, right? I mean, isn't lowers closer to what they're surfing year-round than not? Yeah, I'm not arguing for or against lowers. I think the show there's been amazing. Um, my point was, hey, you're going to have these superstars who may not show up because it just does come down to that one day, and I think that one day needs to vary on, in terms of location. But mm. lowers is sick. Like, it's... Yeah. It's been incredible viewing it's it's like when you see the matchups of those guys going head to head when at the start of the day it sort of has that infinite promise you're like wow this is going to be super exciting see i don't have a i don't have a dog in the fight against the lowers like i think you go back there every five years but you just might need some variation in the waves yeah yeah well i like how you wrote about this story you kind of had two perspectives in it you had the one perspective of 
being somebody that loves the finals and just, you know, you said you had a party, you got people together and just watched every heat. Like I think a lot of other people do, which is kind of funny because I don't think like, I remember doing that years ago with friends I grew up with, but I haven't done that in a while. And I've done it pretty much every finals. It's like made a point to like have a gathering and do it. And I think that says a lot. Um, and then you also had the perspective of somebody who's pulled off some big events. You referenced Stab High and Surf 100. So I like how you worked that, shared that because yeah, you could be the 459,000 middle-aged white guy to have an opinion, but not all of them have pulled off some big events. So I was, it was cool seeing you rope that in and just show like, hey, we know what it's like to, we know how challenging these things can be because I think people do overlook that. Yeah, you never want to underestimate the intelligence of people making these decisions. Like all the thought processes we all have, they're, they're going through the same things. You move the pipeline, then you need, then you've got, so say you move to pipeline in December, right? Then you've got a 12 month run of events. And then you've got to like move the challenging series around where you've already got the permits and the sponsorship already. You've got, you got to go back to all those, all the government bodies. You've got to go back to the sponsor. Hey, we want to change this, but we still need X, Y, Z. I think, um, every decision is challenged and there's just so many nuanced things that have to go in the background. You saw it with stab behind Lakey Peak, complete nightmare. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. it's just not like you can just chop and change. And like I said, I've just been kind of battling in the comments a little bit. These government officials don't surf. They don't understand swell and swell seasons and saying that we're going to have an event sometime in September and it runs later or it runs in October or they've got this long waiting period. It's, um, they're real challenges and they're just financial challenges. The WSL has never made money. Even the ASP days, interviewed Brody Carr for the upcoming house service get paid. And he said, I started and there was no money in the account. I was the CEO. There's there literally no money in there. And they had to loan money off Greville Mitchell and they were, it, it is a business, it's a governing body, but it's also a business and it's never made money. So it's like, you've kind of got to be limited to decisions you make because you do have to follow the money. Otherwise it doesn't exist. And, uh, yeah, it's sort of sometimes difficult to uh, for, to get your head around that. Yeah, well, on that front, you the insider talked about some stuff that I had heard about, but didn't hear the detail that you brought forward here. And so with Dirk Ziff and with this this whole like I remember hearing a while ago that okay, this like singles day playoff thing came from a meeting in Fiji in what 2016 or 17. And I knew that, but I didn't know Dirk Siff was there and that he rarely attended events and was like in the room. And then I was also blown away to hear about Dirk just being on a Zoom call with the surfers like during COVID. That fucking blew my mind. I was tripping on that. I just did not think he was like that involved. I thought he was kind of just like, hey guys, here's the money, like make the surfing happen. And they hear he's popping up on a Zoom call. Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, pretty cool, yeah. Uh, it's incredible and I think a few surfers are a little tardy about showing up because uh, yeah COVID was something none of us had ever encountered and I think the lack of people putting their hand up and showing up he was like okay cool we're doing this yeah incredible I just can't imagine like I can't imagine I really did not think he interacted with it at that level and to hear that he did and then to also hear like he said that some people didn't make the meeting or just kind of showed up late and did whatever it's like yeah okay like it's on then but so, for for us, like uh, a Zoom call is kind of important. We understand if uh, the big dogs are getting in the room, that that's sort of something that you don't miss. I think for a pro surfer, getting on a Zoom call, it just it just doesn't have the same importance. And uh, yeah, after the fact that they might realize that, but yeah, they're like, oh yeah, cool. Just it's just, a, it's just another little video call. Um, 
but yeah, there was a lot of non-attendance apparently. Okay, well, that's noted. Zoom calls are not how surfers get paid. Um, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But one last question before we go about lowers. So the WSL comes. The WSL schedule comes out next Wednesday. Will the finals be at lowers for 2024? What do you think they're going to come at us with? Prediction. I think it's odd that none of us have heard any alternatives. And if you do it in September, you're limited to where you can go, sort of Mexico, Indonesia, maybe Fiji. Um, we haven't heard of any of those. So, you, yeah, the good money's on lowers again. Mm. Mm. Okay. I feel the same way, Mike, and I actually, I don't want to spoil that. We talk about it later a bit. But I did hear when they first announced the the concept and said they were going to move it around that France was on the menu too, which is not a great time zone for many places. But other than that, I was like, oh, it could work, but you could also get unlucky with the way that Portugal is investing in surfing and the options you have there wind-wise. I wouldn't be surprised if there is another place to, to throw on the table. Hmm. I'd be interested, but anyway, probably back at lowers. You're right. Yeah. Europe would be great. The one that, makes a lot of sense is indonesia so say you did 7 a.m at lakey peak that's going to be starting 4 p.m california 6 p.m east coast that'd be a pretty fun afternoon yeah that would be great that would be great so let's see that comes out wednesday so next episode we'll be breaking that down also next week we have episode two of season two of how surfers get paid and this one focuses on surfboards I just watched this thing. I had seen little bits and pieces coming in over the past few months, and I knew it was going to be a banger. But uh, go ahead and tell us how this thing starts. It's it's such a cool story with, with where this thing starts, and then you do wrap it all together nicely in the end. But tell our audience how this thing how this episode starts. It starts with Jordy Smith winning Stab in the Dark, what was that, 2017 in Indonesia with Paisel. And then uh, it follows Jordy Smith trying to order some Paisels, which is a pretty cool story. Uh, and then... This is kind of the origin story of a bunch of shapers, a bunch of surfers trying to get boards off different shapers, and then shapers showing their allegiance to their surfers and not shaping boards for other surfers. That's been the most interesting part. And then the other part that's been fascinating is knowing the contracts between surfers and shapers in the modern day. So we all sort of used to think that there were these. We used to see, remember the photos we get the shaper and the surfer getting together and they'd be signing the contract. Uh, they no, yeah. they no longer exist, which has been was cool to learn. So yeah, it's just deep diving into all of those stories around surfboards, how many you can order, uh, what you do with them. Do you have to give them back? Can you sell them? What that looks like. So it's been fun and it's been really fun having guys like John Pizel, Matt Biolis, because they're Darren Hanley. They're really unguarded. They're not, they don't follow a company line. There's no marketing department saying, Hey, you got to say this, you got to say that. And they're just a joy to put in front of the camera. The, Friendship and just playfulness between DH and Paisel is so good. It is, I, I, I mean, I assume those guys were friends. You kind of assume that like, there's only a limited amount of people in the world that can relate to what they're doing. You know, there's only that many people who shape those boards at that level. And so you assume they all talk to an extent, but like, I mean, the quote from DH about Paisel, uh, kissed on the dick by a fairy, is it? That, that just kind of came out and... The way that that's revealed is incredible just because you're like, you get the quote and then you get the context. I guess that's why the world could be fucked right now is because oftentimes you get the quote and you have none of the context and that quote could sound hectic, but then you get the context and the way DH says it, it's just so good. And they're all, it's like they're having a back and forth to each other over a beer, but they're on 
different sides of the world while it's being filmed. It's incredible. Yeah, that that part's that part's a lot of fun. And then you kind of got to put your hands together for Jack Freestone. So he gets mm. ripped pretty hard and comes in and laughs it off. And so John's like, you can't run any of this stuff. This stuff's all off the record. And I'm like, but what if I go and get Jack to, to green light it? And then Jack's cool. Jack's like, yeah, I don't mind. Uh, so that part's kind of funny. But uh, Boyolos was really interesting as well. He was, um, he's like, I'm not your fucking porn all day this season. I'm not saying it. Uh, and yeah, yeah, that, that, I love that. Yeah, Boyolos is fun I love, too. I love it when people just say, this is off the record and then they say it and you could tell that, you know, you had to, you had to do some magic behind the scenes to get approved. But those bits where you hear somebody say, this can't go in, but this is what happened. It's just, it's so good. Really gives you a feel what it's like to, I'm sure, conduct those interviews, which must be so fun. It is fun. And then you speak to someone like Biolas, who's so measured and calculated and really smart and he's prickly and he's like aggressive and, uh, you never know what you're going to get, but, uh, yeah, he's he's great. He has all these pre-formed opinions ready to go, and um, yeah, it it is it's it's a pleasure to sit down with these guys for sure. Cool. Kind of a big question about the series. So, season one goes down. Everybody loves it. You decide we're going to do season two. You decide maybe we're going to do an episode on surfboards. And I think one of my favorite things about the series is that you get these really broad question questions answered, like how does surfboard sponsorship work in this day and age, right? So that's super broad. But then you also get these stories, these little side stories about things that happened. And the story between Andy and Taj and a popular surfboard company was so good, was so good. I'm just, do you go into these interviews with just a line of questions that you know are going to kind of check both those boxes or do stories like that Andy one just come out like that thing was just like a next level good story how do you get that some <laughs> yeah, that one is really good actually some I've got like a bit of an inkling and some I have no idea uh and, okay and so the Taj one I knew that Mick called Mick Fanning called his Firewise Firewoods and <laughs> but I didn't know the Andy story and yeah, I knew that he didn't, I knew that Taj couldn't order CIs, but I didn't think Taj would go on camera and go, oh, I think Kelly cock-blocked me. <laughs> Just this, you kind of know something and then you get a little bit more. So we're, we're interviewing Britt tomorrow, uh, Britt Merrick, to find out, because Britt Merrick's act, not actually in this episode, and then Merrick and uh, Channel Islands being brought up a lot. So we're going to slot him into the conversation and edit it and get it out next Thursday. Okay, awesome. I look forward to seeing what he says. But yeah, that, that story about Andy preheat is uh, just incredible. Yeah, I have a question for you. So we've done, I don't know, there must be 50 or 60 interviews over those two seasons so far. Who's been your highlight? Recency bias says that chemistry between DH and Pizel. Other than that, I mean, Paul Nade. I didn't think that somebody who still had that much skin in the game, I mean... He's got a lot. He's got this lot. You know, it's not like he was just this big wig that's kind of on different things. Like, he's still very much in the surf industry. And his candor, I think, was just hard to beat. So, for me, I think he was the highlight because, yeah, he still has so much skin in the game. And he just spoke rawly. I know he's not at those companies. He's not at Billabong anymore. But still, to just lay it all out there like that, somebody in his position was... I think the best, but 
recency bias says the chemistry. I know that's not one person, but just seeing like that relationship, it just showed how human those people are as well. Yeah, John Pizel is really charismatic on camera. Oh, he's great. Yeah, I think there's a thing, there's there's a point when you interview someone and it's almost like if they've got some financial freedom and they hit an age, there's a threshold where they just don't have a filter anymore. It's like, okay, I can't get cancelled. I'm just going to say what I think. And so there's no company line. And it just you, you're sitting there. I'm trying to be quiet and not laugh. I'm sitting there just like, because the worst thing ever is hearing myself interrupt or laugh. It's like, oh, it's so cringy. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it's so much fun sitting there doing these things. I love it. We just, yeah. we were doing three interviews a day in January in Hawaii. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a pretty loose interpretation of work, but it's work. Yeah. And the Taj stuff has been really good as well. I feel like Taj just, I feel like your interviews with Taj, I know you have a great relationship with him and have forever, but the little stories that you pull out of him are just so good. Cause I think those add so much to the series. Just like, like I said, you get these broad concepts explained, but you also get these like little anecdotes that have just been tucked away somewhere in somebody's mind and could have never seen the light of day. Like you're not going to just write a story in 2023 about one of these random things. That'd be weird. Right. Yeah. Um, well, the Taj but, one's interesting because I hadn't seen him for, I haven't seen him since for 20, I haven't seen him for almost four years. And uh, he's a close friend, and so we went to Namibia for a swell. We had a good time, and he didn't want to do any of these series, and I didn't want to push him to do any of these series because he's anchored so many stab projects for two decades. And I left him alone, and I was like, hey, there's a couple loose threads here. Mick Fanning says that your... Uh, oh, no, sorry, Dilma says that your firewires were PU boards painted to look like firewires, and there was just a bunch of bunch of things where his name was brought up and I was like do you want to can we do this interview when we get back from the movie and he's like yeah, yeah let's do it and um he's just you know he's just happy and you know people who are happy and they're charismatic on camera it just comes across really well so I was really pumped he agreed to do it and he's got some crazy stories coming up as well really really crazy oh, wow. yeah I'm pumped on those like it's um yeah he's he's sort of similar to those other guys where he doesn't really have a filter and just says what he thinks. Wow. I'm excited to see what else is coming. So what else we got in season two? What's in the pipeline? Uh, the challenge now is just sort of formulating, putting these into episodes. Like there's a bunch of Jack Freestone gave us some crazy stories the other day that didn't really fit into an episode. Taj uh, negotiating. I think I've spoken about this negotiating uh, in the back of a black SUV in a back alley with three like industry execs. So that story is good. So we're going to put those in an episode. We're going to do an episode on the females. Uh, we're going to do an ep on the origin of the WSL and how that all came apart, mm. uh, came about, um, which should be good. Some stories we think are really good and worth following, and then you kind of crack them open and they're not that great. Oh, we're going to do a story on alternative surfboards, actually, because they're the guys who are getting paid as opposed to the guys writing performance boards. So that one's coming together quite well. That says a lot to me. <laughs> excited to share this thing with the world it'll drop next thursday i believe yep cool well we will be breaking it down mikey and i in detail on next week's pod so thank you sam yeah and, and when, uh, you, when, when you break it down buck you don't have to stay guarded you can talk about any stories in there it's like who cares if people don't want to they're not subscribers and they hear the stories it doesn't matter let it all out okay all right. Well, there you go. Um, this is on the record. Uh, Sam said I'm allowed to just let my guard down and say whatever I want on the podcast. So 
I am sorry if Stab Mag stops existing because of things I say. It is Sam's fault. The Stab interview with world champion Caroline Marks. Wow. I mean, McConaughey didn't have to do anything for me to believe that she was going to win. Uh, shout out to me. SPF rankings. I said it was the best thing that could happen out of the finals was her winning. It did happen. First goofy foot female champ since Chelsea Georgeson in 2005. Before that, it was Pam Burridge in 1990. And that's a fucked up stat, isn't it? How was that? How was I the only one hammering that? Unless they were hammering it all along at the WSL broadcast and I was watching at a bar so I didn't have sound. Well, to be fair, she's also pretty much the first new world champion since 2000. Well, technically 2007, because Lane Beachley won after Chelsea Georgeson in 2006. And after that, it was four years of Stephanie Gilmore. Then it was basically Carissa and Steph just trading them. Tyler got a couple in there. And then again, Carissa and Steph just trading. So we haven't had a new world champion since 2007. If you take out, you know, just it's been Tyler, Carissa and Stephanie. Yeah, but the point of, like, stats is to just pull something that benefits your narrative, and so that's mine, and I'm going with it, Mikey. <laughs> okay, that's a really good point. Congratulations to Caroline. Um, again, Stacy and I obviously gave her more of a proper rundown in the last episode of the podcast, which was all focused on the WSL Finals, but this is an interview that we did with her. Um, Ethan Davis took it on, and he asked her all the, the hard and the not so hard no actually not even hard questions it was really like it's one of those interviews that you can tell that the person that was being interviewed was actually like enjoying themselves and you got to see Caroline just be herself and I feel like I got to know her more as a person than I ever have before reading this well I'm listening to Lauren Hill next time before I pal I'm gonna see how it goes because <laughs> let's be honest Lauren Hill is good and hey it won Carolina world title so let's not overlook that Another takeaway I had from here is he was, Ethan asked her for travel cheat codes, just on the more fun side. Um, she mentioned just, you know, flying within the same airline group and saying, yeah, even if you're in economy, sometimes you get upgraded. Caroline, can we be done with economy? I mean, that's over, right? The back of the plane is over for her. Can we say that? It's got to be. I mean... She's got a world title bonus coming, but more than that, it's just like once you become a world champion, I think that in anything, it could be hacky sack, but you just can't fly economy anymore. You're not one of the people. You're you've ascended. Yeah, that that's over. I'd still fly within the group. I'm sure it still makes sense. You get the points, all that. Sometimes you get upgraded just with the points. Yeah, sure, do that. But like when I read that, I was like, okay, we can't have Miller. We can't have Miller just waving at her from the front of the plane as a world <laughs> champion just walks by. Like that's not a, that's not a world that I'm gonna live in. That's true. That's true. And there's another. Um, there's an interesting little factoid in here that Ethan brought up that actually it came from Jimmy Kane originally, and it's that Caroline's not only the youngest surfer to make the CT, but she's the youngest surfer to compete in a CT event, which was uh, when she was 13 at Lower Trestles, and in that event, her first heat was against Carissa Moore, against whom she lost. And then in the second round, she lost to Tyler Wright, which is really interesting and kind of full circle now. We come back to she's 21 years old. She comes back to lower trestles. She beats Tyler in the semifinals and then takes out Carissa in the final. Shout out to Jimmy Kane as well. I feel like his brain just has like an entire department dedicated to surf facts and then 
probably a lot of just useless information about the Jacksonville Jaguars' many horrific uh, quarterbacks over the years as well. There's just a, de- a department of the brain. I don't know if that's the term that neuroscientists like Ethan use, but... No, I think they call it autism. Okay. <laughs> that is an umbrella term. Don't worry, Jimmy. I have it too. It's a spectrum. We're all on it to some degree. Anyway. Anyway, you mentioned before, youngest to qualify. So she qualified at 16... Her first season was in 2018. She finished seventh. Her second season was 2019, finished second. And then 2020, no tour COVID. 2021, we had that weird year where they just kind of slapped something together. She got sixth. And then she took pretty much half the season off last year, which Ethan got into with her, competed in the back half of tour, and then came on this year, had a great year, won El Salvador, and then won the title. So that has been her path to this place. Yeah, so let's hear a little bit from Caroline in her own voice, in her own words. I wake up every day and I'm like, holy shit. Like, I don't know. So, <laughs> Where's your trophy? Is it sitting in your room? Uh, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It's just like <laughs> on my dining table. Because I, I haven't, I don't really, I'm going to like move it around, but I just like left it there and I'm just like looking at it. It's pretty nice. <laughs> <laughs> Did you take a sip from it at your after party where people pouring oh, drinks in there? You know, yeah, absolutely. It's a funny clip of like me on stage and like I'm trying to drink champagne out of it and then like, I couldn't lift it up all day. And Philippe like puts a trophy down and then he helps me. It was really funny because it's 75 pounds. Like it's really heavy. Wow. That, yeah. that, 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 it's kind of nice that it's heavy, right? Like, like a, oh. the weight of a world title. Oh, 100%. It should be that heavy. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Everyone says, oh, in hindsight, like, oh, it was so obvious that she's going to become a world champ but then there's so many obvious kids where that never actually materializes that's a great point i was actually talking to like my friends about this the other day i was like um because they were saying they're like oh like in a way it must feel like really good to like live up to that expectation because i think you know since i kind of became really successful in the amateurs and the juniors and stuff like everyone always say oh if you know you're going to be world champ you're going to be world champ and i think like like you just said, like a lot of people, they say that about and it never actually happens, you know? So, um, yeah, like I just feel, it just feels really good to do it and like to kind of live up to that. And obviously being world champ is like a massive, was like my biggest dream ever, you know? So I was always going to work like, I don't know, it didn't matter how long it was going to take, I was always going to work really hard to do it. But like you said, I mean, to actually do it is just like, it feels really good. (laughs) Yeah, that's a really good point. Like, a lot of people have, have brought that point up to me, and I'm like, yeah, like, I totally felt that, you know? And, you know, I had a really good year in 2019, and then, like, a pandemic happened, and I kind of, like, took some time off, and just, like, so, you know, like, it, yeah. So you just never know It's yeah, like, it just feels good to live up to that. It was pretty cool, because I feel like kind of Griffin's whole crew was, like, rooting for me, and my whole crew was rooting for him, and it was just, like, this really cool thing, you know? So... It'd be like from the water you looked in and there was just so many people like you couldn't even like you couldn't even like really imagine it because there wasn't much beach. But then you you looked in and you're just like, oh, my gosh, I think it was like would have been the most crowded finals day they had. Like there was just so many people there. So, um, yeah, like I just I'm just really, really happy is like the best way I can explain it. Simone Biles, Naomi Osaka, there's all these like amazing female athletes from the States who took time off and then came back stronger. Obviously, you took some time off last season and naturally people wondered why. Your health is something really private and we don't really have a place or, or the desire to pick at scabs. So 
just so our readers don't accuse me of not asking the question, can you can you actually just explain why why a person's health is no one else's business? <laughs> totally. No, I appreciate you asking it like that. You know, it's tricky because like it's something that I really want to talk about, but it's also something that I'm not like not like like completely ready to get into the details and like I know like for sure like I will at some point talk to people about it and like say it and you know say it in public and stuff because I like my goal of mine's like you know those things I went through I, I really want to like help you know younger younger like people or younger men and, and women you know like um just with stuff I went through and I think it could really help a lot of people and that would be like the goal of mine of why I'd share it you know otherwise I probably would forever keep it private but um yeah like I think your health is like something that's obviously very personal to you I think like there's there's only one of you right so I think like everyone's got no one else is ever going to be in someone else's shoes like you're the only one that can be in your shoes and I think that's why something with your health is like it's cool to you know it's it's uh it's okay to keep private and to yourself and you know obviously with your your tight circle like obviously my close friends and family know but um yeah, I also think as an athlete, it's hard. Like, I think anything, like, when you take time away or when you when you, when you, you say you're struggling, like, people look at that as a weakness. And I think that was another hard thing that I had to, like, get over is, like, oh, are people going to think I'm weak because, like, I can't handle it or something, you know? And um, so I think that's another reason that I, I kind of kept it private. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm like, hey, like, everyone goes through stuff and, like, I – it's everyone's journey and path is different and mine I went through something that like I didn't think I was going to go through but it happened and I'm grateful like I took the time away and like I'm you know really needed to happen and I'm stoked that like I had so many good people around me supporting the argument against aggressive surf parenting oh boy this one so Holden, who we will hear from on this shortly. Holden Turnkey wrote this one. Turkey, is it? Uh, Turnkey. (laughs) He wrote this one. Uh, The title says it all. It's an argument against aggressive surf parenting. That's what it is. Uh, What's the premise? I guess don't yell at your kid to be a better surfer and uh, break it. Don't break your children because they should surf better. Seems pretty easy on face value, but it seems to be really hard for a lot of people. Yeah, it does. It does. And I feel a little bit removed from this. Like he has a line in there saying that like every coastal town in California has what, 20 to 100 stickered up kids. I guess I'm about to experience that when I go ride a massively oversized Rudy Smith board and fight a child for an waist high wave. Um, but I guess I feel a little bit removed from that. So I will see these stickered up children. And yeah, I don't see too much of it where I live these days. There's some more in the in the more hot zone parts of Portugal, but yeah, do you see a lot of it, Mikey? Firsthand? Mm, I guess not Costa Rica. No, not really. I think in other parts of Costa Rica, you'd probably see it a bit more, where it's a bit more. There's like a, a younger group. There's definitely some kids around here where I surf who surf well, and some kids who are definitely sponsored. Um, but actually it seems like most people put their kids into these sort of like surf groups or surf, I don't know what you'd call them, but like, it's like kind of like a training group where they go out with a coach who oversees like multiple kids together and they all go surfing together and film each other and then go back and review it. And I don't know, I feel like just that's the problem really is people try to be two things at once. They try to be a parent and a coach and 
you're never going to be able to do both of those things well at the same time, I don't think. You can make a kid who's super successful um, if you want to, like, angle more on the coach side, but that's going to hurt your relationship with your kid, I think. Or you can be just a really good parent who supports their kid but isn't going to be there telling them, you know, put your arm here, uh, paddle harder. It's just you can't have it both ways. So, um, yeah, I think that's kind of what this story gets into. But uh, maybe Holden can break it down a little bit further for us. At one point there, like, I have friends. Two people recently told me that, like, you know, their kids are far from, one, they're not the type of parents that I could ever see, like, being coachy. And two, their kids are still quite young. But I've had two parents tell me lately, like, you know, they'll take their kids out on a foamy and, like, the kid's not really that into it. And then they got into, a like, a surf camp, like, summertime surf, like, let your kids off for the day and just let them, like, hang out with kids their age and, like, they're in the water for an hour and they're playing beach games and shit, you know? Both kids fell in love with surfing that environment in a way that they just couldn't with their parents. So I think, like, that idea of keeping it different, like... Now they do serve with their parents and it's better, but just like their level of their fear tolerance, like everything seemed to change when they were just in it in that different environment with like kids their age and also like, I guess, coaches or, you know, instructors. And so that's an interesting point. And one more thing on this, Holden pulled up this stat that there's an estimated 23 million surfers worldwide, uh, only 0.004% end up on the QS kind of hilarious because all you have to do is pay <laughs> so only point zero zero four percent of the world surfers are irrational enough to hand over like i think you have to pay insurance a membership fee and then a contest fee it all works out almost to be like even to get an event i think is around a grand so uh only point zero zero four percent fall for that fucking dupe and then point zero zero eight percent end up on the challenger series God bless them all. And then 0.0002% make the CT. One thing I want to add to that is what, maybe 40, 30% of the CT even has a deal that is more compelling than like, yeah. Be, learn to code. What do they say in the thing? Remember? <laughs> Didn't Joe Biden tell the coal miners to learn how to code? That's what I'm going to tell the parents <laughs> and the kids. Uh, everybody should learn to code. Don't be a pro surfer. It's probably not going to happen. Anyway, let's hear from Holden. And then I think this next story is going to make everybody really optimistic for the future, perhaps to have children. So let's hear from him, and then we'll get to that. Hey, how's it going, guys? Holden here. Thanks for having me back on the podcast. Excited to be here. This week, I wrote a story called The Argument Against Aggressive Surf Parenting which is a pretty hot topic. Everybody seems to have their own opinions, their own stories, their own rumors. It's something people definitely like to talk about. And um, that's part of the reason I wrote it, for sure. But from the beginning, it was inspired by a handful of experiences I had and dynamics I witnessed and rumors that I heard that honestly frustrated me and upset me a little bit. And so I told Mikey that I wanted to write a story kind of just poking fun at surf parenting and having fun with it. And so I sat down to write that story and it came out a lot more serious and a bit condescending and negative in a weird way. And and it didn't come out how I wanted to write it. And so I kind of had to recalibrate and relook at it and be like, 
Well, it's easy to have an opinion on something like this when I don't know anything about it. I mean, I'm 24 years old. I don't have a kid. I don't know anything about turning kids into professional surfers. So I had to sort of start over almost. And I reached out to a bunch of people who know a lot more about the topic than me. Um, One of those was Matt Myers, who is currently coaching Cole Hauschman to his absolute sweep of the Challenger Series, um, but spent almost a decade as Rip Curl's team manager, in which time he interacted with many, many, many surf parents, both good and bad. And so I kind of just had him break it down, his perspective on it. I, I went in with an open mind and asked him his perspective, and some of the stuff he said was really interesting. It was stuff that I hadn't thought about or didn't really have the experience or understanding to approach. And then after that, I had to look at a bunch of data and tried to compare um, the basically the success rate of surfers who want to become CT surfers against other sports, athletes who become professional in other sports. And though the numbers aren't that surprising, you probably probably would expect that it's a tiny, 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 tiny percentage of people who actually end up surfing on the CT. Um, It hopefully convinces a few people not to be dicks to their kids. (laughs) I don't know. Surfing's fun. Have fun with it. That's my opinion. Cheers, guys. Buck, before we get into the next story... I can't help but notice that you're looking a little gaunt. I know you just traveled for a while and you you seem a little bit out of sorts. I think you might need just to have a little bite to eat. Is there anything in your near vicinity that you could just kind of munch on just to get your energy levels back up? Thankfully, I've got some fringe bars. Oh, it's the mango, mango hemp, it says. Um, And I actually want to give an airline a call just to make sure you could travel these things. Let's, Let's hear from whatever this lady's name is. Thank you for calling United Reservations. This is Chief. Yes, hi. How can I help you today? Yes, hi. Sorry, I'm not sure if I got to the right place, but I had a question about uh, like food restrictions on flight and in baggage. I see. Sure. Uh, well, Trevor, best to help you with your concern. For food restrictions, so am I trying to request any food for your flight? Oh no, it was it was more what I'm allowed to bring personally. Like I know, I, I didn't know if there are certain limits. Like I, it would be an international flight. I'm planning a surf trip to Portugal. Okay. Um, what type of food are you gonna bring? Well, I guess the thing is, I eat like a a really healthy diet. I pretty much only drink sagras and I eat a lot of these bars. Um, and the thing I'm most worried about is they have adaptogenic mushrooms in them. And I didn't know if that's, it's not like the hallucinate ones. It's, it's just a mushroom, but I didn't know if there's like restrictions with crossing borders with something that had like a mushroom in it. Okay. Let me check that one for you for a moment. Okay. Um, can you please provide your confirmation number? I'm looking into the flight now. I haven't booked it yet. I was, it was just a, I didn't know if there are certain airlines. Like I knew, I remember hearing something about like peanuts too. Like if, if there's a peanut allergy, you're not allowed to bring something on a plane. If you're not allergic to peanuts, then you can still bring it to Purdue. 
Oh, I thought it was something about like the other passengers maybe being allergic. I, I might I don't fly much. Okay, cool. Yeah, they're fully plant-based, gluten-free, have 15 grams of protein, zero grams of added sugar, and they have Clemen, uh, three delicious flavors. They're called Fringe. So I just didn't know. And yes, um, regarding with the baggage, it will depend also on the ticket that you're gonna uh, purchase. If you purchase the basic economy ticket, it will only allow you to bring a carry-on bag and a personal item. But if you have a standard economy, you will gonna bring. Uh, you will be allowed to have a free check bag, carry-on, and a personal item. Okay. Well, yeah, I might purchase the ticket, but what I think you should do is head over to FringeFoodCo.com and use the code STAB to take 15% off your first order of Fringe Bars. They are available in 12 packs of chocolate almond butter, coconut, cashew, mango, hemp, and a variety pack, um, and you get 15% off. It's code STAB. Sorry. S-T-A-B. Coach Stab is kind of food. Let me see. Okay, well, if you go to the com, I'll go to, is it united.com? Yes, united.com. Okay, cool, okay. yeah. I'll look into that, but enter the code STAB at checkout, Fringe Food Co. You get 15% off. Okay, thank you. I'll, I'll get into the flight now. Thank yeah. you. Okay, sure. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Europocalypse Now. Nice, nice title. Paul Evans here, pretty much saying that uh, RIP Europe. Europe is, is especially Southwest France, interesting place. I don't live there anymore. Did six years there. Every time I go back, I notice it, this story is like a mix of like weather, climate trends that aren't looking great, and then just kind of the culture there and how it's changing. Pretty wild read. On the weather front, during the first weeks of August, the global average sea surface temperature was the warmest ever recorded, 20.96 degrees Celsius. That's interesting because things usually peak in March due to essentially the southern hemisphere heating. So the ocean's warm, um, and that causes many bad things. It's getting warmer and warmer. At a but not, that... not warm for long, apparently. Apparently, you guys are losing the Gulf Stream. Did I hear that? It's like yeah. reversing? Yeah, uh, there's also, he said, a German team that thinks the Gulf Stream, one of the largest currents in the Atlantic, could shut down as early as 2025. The currents are already at their slowest speed in at least 1,600 years, and so I don't even know how people make sense out of what would happen. That drives a lot of the climate, so yeah, it could make the water colder, it could make us a massive drought, so it's... uh, it's fucking wild. Wild things are happening. Orcas are attacking boats. There's just weird shit happening there at the moment. Um, and then there's also food trucks Paul's not happy about. <laughs> so this is one of my favorite stories I've read in a long time, primarily because I don't understand really a word of it. 
Because the way that stat or the way that Paul writes, first of all, he's like so clever and witty, and you know has such a big vocabulary, has such a big like breadth of knowledge, and then all these European references that he just refuses to to write down to his reader. I feel like when I write, like I try to be like as clear as possible so that anybody reading it could make sense of it. And Paul just goes the exact opposite direction and just writes at like the level that his brain works, and it makes me like. Again, like, I'm going to read you a passage, and can you just try to explain to me what he's talking about here? I could do my best. So Paul says, In a pop-up organic co-working space, under a thick canopy of macrame-dangled succulent and tinted resin, one DigiNomad's ethically sourced Ruibos tea leaves bore an uncanny resemblance to Albrecht Durer's The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. He immediately bolted, 15 euro acai bowl half-eaten, jumped into Westphalia, and gunned for higher ground. Lock de NSC should do it. Okay, let's work our way backwards. Uh, Lock de NSC is it's in the, another part of the country. It's near the Swiss Alps. So uh, other side, the the Westphalia is a van, and so he's implying that this guy drove a van. Basically, that area is attracting a new crowd, and it's attracting new businesses to serve that new crowd and. Um, that's bad. The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse is a book, uh, basically saying here are some signs that you could use to predict that things are going really wrong. And then uh, the rest of it was describing a place that is just so fucking cliche and hip, um, which is a lot of, there's a lot of that going on there. <laughs> a little, little good macrame canopy roof. So Thank you, Buck. That was very helpful. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. So, so that's one uh, of about 50 paragraphs that um, will make no sense to the average reader, but are enjoyable to read nonetheless because he makes you feel like you're in on this like inside joke with him, even though you're not, but you feel like you're just like friends with Paul reading it. And um, yeah, I laughed a lot. Well, one thing it just kind of weaves in too, which I've been hearing about is surfboard manufacturing is having a really tough stretch right now. Um, I think this is a global issue. I don't think it's just in Europe, but I have talked to people in Europe who said it is very much not great there. So there is a rumor of one factory having a zero order day for the first time in their history. Um, And Paul also talked to a shaper that said he'd made seven boards all summer. So some of the rationale there is that there's this crazy boom in COVID Surf shops pretty much ran out of stock with everything. Like something similar, I think, is happening in wetsuits. Basically, everything sold out. Okay, we made a bunch more. Okay, demand's not as high anymore. So there's pretty much this oversupply and not enough demand. That's bad, especially in things that are, you know, surfboards and wetsuits, I guess. Especially surfboards. Surfboards are tricky. So that was really interesting. It just kind of weaved in to, with these paragraphs about the North Atlantic drift and uh, digital nomads eating half acai bowls. So go get to this one. Um, if you have any questions, leave them for Paul in the comments. He lurks down there. Well, and um, I, I have a question real quick, Buckley. How much do you think, um, did Stab Highway Europe break Europe? Did we have any part in this? Huh, interesting idea. Seems like all these things started happening right after us. It could have happened, yeah. I would say, I'm just trying to figure out what point we would have broken it, though. I feel like there'd have to be one, I mean, maybe that's not how, maybe that's the problem, is that climate change doesn't just happen in one big thing. It's just this kind of, not even slow anymore, it's happening. (laughs) It's it's going down, but um, 
there isn't just one moment you could point at. So it may be, Mikey. You could be onto something. What is there a moment you think would do it, or do you think it's just, just this uh, slow burn things of just changing that you just wake up and everything's different in the current style? I mean, there's got to be some connection. Like, you know, cow farts, they blow a hole in the ozone layer. We ate way too much Roquefort cheese. Um, mm. It's just, yeah, I, I think to your point, it wasn't the one moment. It was the, the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And then, yeah, shout out to Paul for being paid by uh, the globalist agenda. Um, we're really happy to have him air that out. And um, Conan Hayes will be sending you a cease and desist shortly. We tested Felipe Toledo's world title winning surfboard. Did we, Mikey? Did you and I? Well, yeah, there, there should be an asterisk on this title, I suppose, for a few reasons. We tested Felipe Toledo's world title winning surfboard from 2022. We thought it was going to be the world title winning surfboard from 2023. But Felipe pulled a freaking flip on us in the last second and decided to ride his thruster instead of the quad that he's ridden the last two years at lowers. And then he told me explicitly he was going to ride in the in the uh, in the WSL finals when we were together in Nicaragua earlier this year. So I'm pretty pissed at Felipe, but not about this surfboard. This is the best surfboard that I have ridden in, I think, years. I'm calling it a top three ever in the joyride. Wow. I mean, you said in here it's the best one that you've had in quite some time. So I, I was really thinking about that, too. Like, I wanted the quad to be back. I didn't know you had that conversation with him. I am happy to hear that. It's not just McConaughey who's on our naughty list right now. Felipe's on there as well. Um, but, yeah, I was so... I still have so many questions about quads. You answered some of them here. But even just in terms of design, can you just take the exact same outline as a thruster and just slap four fins on it? Is, is that what we're doing here? I have no idea. So this is so the board's the Inferno FT, FT of course standing for Felipe Toledo. And apparently it's like an iteration of the Inferno 72, which is the board that won stab or Taj's stab in the dark. And um, I also tested that board before in Indonesia and that board's amazing. Um, I still ride that board as well. But yeah, so from what I understand, the FT is re really similar to the 72, but the main differences are one, it t usually comes with a swallow tail. And the big one is obviously the quad fin setup. Fortunately for you, Buck, it does not have the center fin option. That's n not in the cards. It is four fins only on this one. I suppose you could write it as okay. a twin if you wanted to, but that'd be pretty stupid. Um, I actually think that quads might be the optimal fin setup for the majority of surfers. You know, people who are on the CT, I can understand why they might not go for that. Um, but for people like you and I and, and people listening to this podcast who just want to go out and have fun and go fast and turn hard and maybe spin around every once in a while, like, it, it, they're just better. They're faster. When you're on rail, you have more control than a thruster. And you get better release as well because there's no center fin. So the only real downside, I feel, is, and this is especially backside, you just have these moments every once in a while where the board just feels a little bit funny and maybe you, like, slide out a little bit or you have sort of like a, like a banana peel moment, you know what I mean, where you just kind of feel like an idiot. And thrusters just don't have – you're never surprised by a thruster. These can surprise you, but they can also surprise you in really good ways, and I think the pros massively outweigh the cons for the average surfer. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Next board, performance quad. Um, I have been working on the one of the stab reader survey breakdowns 
And this one gets into your favorite surfboard brands. We'll publish it soon-ish. But another question we cover here is fins. We ask people what fin setup they ride. 55% of the 7,000 people who responded said thruster. Twins were at 18.57. Quads at 10.10. So, Mikey, you're tell- this is a big claim telling these people. You're well, telling 90% of these people that they have not enough fins. You know what, though? Or is it just Big Fin driving this? You want to just sell them all one extra fin? <laughs> the future sponsors this, don't they? That's true. They do. Okay, but here, so you have this belief that it's stupid that everybody wants to ride PU surfboards because that's what people ride on the CT. And I think we're doing that same exact thing with fins. I think if the average CT surfer rode quads, the average surfer in the world would ride quads, but it's just, it's not seen as the top thing because it's not what the top surfers are doing for the most part. You know, obviously there are exceptions. Felipe, Kelly rides quads sometimes, etc. Um, so yeah, I think we're, I think Big Fin, no, no, it's not even the Fin company's fault, honestly. It's just competitors need to have, like, basically they need to eliminate all variables, in their surfing. They need to know exactly what their surfboard's going to do every time. And you're not going to get that with a quad, but you're going to get so many other benefits. And, uh, for the rest of us who can afford to, you know, fuck up a bottom turn every now and again, and it's not going to cost us our career or livelihood. I'm telling you right now, get a quad, get a performance quad. Don't, you don't need to like people, you know, different brands make these quads that are like fun boards and I'm sure they're great, but I'm talking about like basically a short board, like a high performance short board. Talk with a shaper who's done it before. Cause I think there are probably a few other factors that they need to consider rather than just slapping an extra, you know, fin box in there. Like I think there are other facets of a surfboard that might need to be altered to maximize the performance of a quad, but really get yourself the Inferno FT because this board is absolutely magic. Wow. Okay. So we are a challenger series podcast, which is good news for us. More coming up. And we are also a quad podcast, quad pod. We're doing it. Quadcast. What else we got, Mikey? What else on the site? We got a little uh, Kihu Kihu. Oh yeah. Little Kihu Butler. We got a new film on Stab Premium that just dropped, Sunburn. Um, the, it was made by Alex Kiluanu and it features the Gadowskis brothers among other surfers. It's a really enjoyable watch. Um, Buck, you are working on a little something with Nick Von Rupp and you just dropped the first episode in his Portugal back-to-back series in a part of the world that I didn't even know was Portugal. Yep, yep, the Azores. Um, he scored there waves that uh, you kind of have to be a psycho to ride, but really interesting when you see places that not a lot of people you probably don't have any friends who've even visited there um and then it turns out there are insane world-class waves there there's quite a few of those islands and they are holding um just in case you feel like getting kinky folks go go have a look on google maps have a little sniff around you could have some fun anyway so that's cool what else we got coming up Ooh, the wsl calendar Drops September 20th. There's a lot coming next week. Shit, this is huge. Okay, we've got a monster edit with Parker Coffin and Luke Swanson. Ooh, ooh. Stab edit of the year with Lob. Leo, Liam O'Brien. So that's exciting. I've seen this. It's fucked up. He's an actual crazy person, the waves that he surfed. Like, you think of him as, like, this really, like, technically gifted surfer from the Gold Coast. This guy's an absolute lunatic. Wait till you see the waves that he's surfing in this edit. And the ones that he's, like, it's like, yeah, people have surfed these spots before, but the waves that he's going on and the way that he's doing it is like, what are you doing? Ooh, very excited. I have not watched that yet. So funny. Just the most, one of the most intelligent pro surfers of our time and just, I guess, makes 
really funny decisions in the surf. So I like that. I, irrational. Irrational. I like that a lot. There's something just really charming about that to me. Where's a helmet though? Because you you know got to protect the brain. Fucking yeah, protect that thing, man. I mean, we already lost Ace. He's gone. I thought his hair would be enough, honestly. You know, it seems like that's yeah, like a really solid fair. cushion. But fair, yeah. He's double wrapping. Yeah, just put like a swim cap on that thing to keep it all kind of tight, and then it's like the same thing. <laughs> yeah, and then as you talked about with Sam, very exciting. The next episode of How Surfers Get Paid is going to be airing next week as well. Yeah, oh, I'm really excited for the WSL calendar drop. I mean. Sam's story that we talked about earlier as well. There is uh, a lot to consider. It's just an interesting time. So, what's your guess for the final location? Lowers or not lowers? Shit. Lowers. I know that's what my brain says, but my heart just wants it to be somewhere else so badly. I, I know they were toying with friends, which is sketchy, I think, but that would be interesting. It'd be a weird time zone for places. Yeah, I don't know. Lowers. Lowers. Damn. Anyway. We'll know next week. So it would be time for a surf sin, but due to the decreasing speed of the Gulf Stream, the North Atlantic Drift, we do not have a sin this week. Um, we've just been getting some shit sins lately, I'm going to be honest. They just haven't been the quality that we that we want. People saying break. Don't say break on here. Don't say break. Yeah, either our listeners have been just very very good boys and girls or they don't want a stab premium account for free for a full year i don't know what's going on i'm gonna throw this out here too because as i'm recording this there's just this um a bunch of shirts right next to me so next week sin if it's good if i don't like it that much then you don't get a shirt but if i like it a lot i'm gonna send you a shirt as long as you live in the u.s sorry rest of the world i'll bring one back to europe and send one to somebody too how about that what about a fringe bar can we send him a fringe bar as well? Yeah, yeah, easy. So submit a sin if we like it, shirt and fringe bar. That's one for the U.S., one for Europe. Australia, I don't feel too bad for you. You got summer coming up, um, and your waves are always good. Very good waves. And yeah. your people dress kind of nice, but it's a little bit try-hard at times. Um, and you make up funny words. So I don't feel bad for you, but you don't get a shirt. Thank you, as always, for listening to The Drop. If you have a surf sin that isn't completely horrible, and by horrible I mean not entertaining, uh, we, we want them to be horrible in the sense that you do very bad things, send them to michael at stabmag.com or bucketstabmag.com. you got to film them vertically on your phone, keep them 60 seconds or less, and if you get chosen to air on this podcast because you send in a good surf sin, which is a bad surf sin, uh, you're going to get a free year of Stab Premium. Who doesn't want that? It allows you to read these incredible stories by Sam and, and everybody else that's writing them, uh, watch series like How Surfers Get Paid, again, dropping next week, and everything else that we do. So get in there. And, uh, yeah, there's so much to look forward to next week. Wow, I'm, like, excited for the weekend. I, you know, going to get some waves and enjoy myself and relax. But next week we're straight back into it with all these huge stories. So until then, enjoy yourself and over and out.